0: Hi, everybody. I'm Michaela, your host of The Pick Podcast, and I am a public relations grad. I have a floral design business. Basically, I love interviewing people on business or societal topics. I'm really excited for our episode this week, so let's dive right in. Our guests today are the authors of a new book called Widow to Moving Forward, Insights on Managing Grief, Dating, and Blending Families, by Justin and Jen Eller. I'm really excited to have them on. Justin and Jen were widowed in their 40s. They have since gotten married and blended families. This book is new. It's available for purchase on Amazon. So if you enjoy this episode, I encourage you to go purchase their book. I actually have been reading it myself and I'm about 75% of the way through. It's a great read. So yeah, I encourage you if you enjoyed the episode to go check it out. This episode will cover a range of topics, so we just want to give a little bit of a trigger warning if, um, because we'll be talking about mental health, blending families, um, death of a spouse, being widowed, suicide, and kind of everything in between that comes with that. So we're going to get started by talking about Justin's background a little bit and who his former wife is. Justin's former wife is Angie. Angie was a skilled PICU nurse at UC Davis Medical Center in Sacramento, California. She was an avid runner and was very health conscious. In early January of 2014, Angie ran a half marathon with ease. Just two months later, she went to the doctor because she had been dry hacking a cough for some time. Within 48 hours, they learned that one of her lungs had collapsed and fluid had filled her chest cavity. Her right lung was a shrunken mass of tumors, and the cancer had already metastasized to other regions in her body. It was stage four non smokers' lung cancer. The doctor said it was a case of very bad luck. The cancer had reached stage four in medical terminology before it was discovered. How did she get cancer when she was so healthy and took such great care of her body? Angie was only 39 years old when she was diagnosed. Angie fought to live through 16 months of chemo and radiation treatments. She explored all viable resources that could help her. But after 10 months of effective treatment, with the, the cancer had begun spreading throughout her body. And within another six months, Angie passed away on August 6 of 2015, holding her three children close to her as Justin stood at the foot of her bed rubbing her feet. Justin's dad shared, I've seen many people die, but she was as beautiful in death as she was in life. She was calm and with dignity. She was prepared to meet her savior. Jen's former husband is Stoney. Stoney was a well-known and well-loved man in their community of South Jordan, Utah. He was service-oriented and made people feel welcomed and loved. Stoney was at the height of his career, and from the outside looking in, he had it all. However, his marriage with Jen was far from perfect, as Stoney struggled with addiction nearly all of their married life. Unknown to his children, the struggles of Stoney's addiction added to the devastating shock when their children discovered the details of Stoney's passing. The night before Stoney passed, he had arrived home from a business trip. They'd missed him as he had been gone for several weeks. Their children happily gathered around him and listened to the stories that he told about his latest trip. On the following morning, their family was preparing to attend the dedication of the Provo City Center Temple, but before they left for church, Stony was nowhere to be found. To the shock of their family and local community, Stony took his life on March 20th of 2016. His body was found near their home. This came six days before Jen and Stoney were supposed to celebrate their 20th wedding anniversary. Jen says, he left us with many unanswered questions, some of which may never be answered in this life. Jen described, I'll never forget the day when the detective came to our house and confirmed that my husband had died by suicide. I remember the confusion and devastation that overcame me. The pain was not just mental and emotional, it was also physical. Justin and Jen met and eventually married in July of 2017. Their children were ages 19, 17, 13, 18, 15, 13, and 10 at the time. They start their book by saying, Ours is a story of hope. We're living it, and we want to share it with you. I'm really excited to welcome them on and have them introduce themselves.
1: Hi, I'm Justin Eller. And I'm Jen Eller. We met online through a support group, and when we met and decided to get married, I moved from California to Utah to be with her. And now we live here
0: in South Jordan, Utah. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I'm really excited for this episode and to share with our listeners about your guys' experiences. Yeah, thanks for having us. So you guys just wrote a book that came out recently about your experiences with blending families, being widowed, and kind of everything in between. There's a lot that goes with that. And so I've been reading that, and it's been honestly a delight to like learn about your guys' experiences and gain perspective on how to navigate those challenges that can come up in life. Throughout the book, you share a lot of challenges that get presented when you struggle with mental health, especially following the death of a spouse. Justin, you shared insights about your battles with pi- bipolar type 1 diagnosis before Angie's battle with cancer. Yeah. Could you share a brief history on that and then Yeah, just things that might present themselves as a challenge or obstacle with battling bipolar type 1.
1: Okay. Well, I struggled with manias and depression uh, from the time that I was 31 years old. And uh, miraculously, when I was 37, we found a medication that that finally worked for me. And that was quite fortunate because um, it worked for a few years before Angie's diagnosis, and when Angie was diagnosed with cancer, it was really important that I be present and there to help her. Right. And it had taken care of me for so long with the struggles that I was having. It, uh, it felt good to be able to give back to her and to take care of her in some of the ways that she had taken care of me.
0: Yeah, I think that that's really awesome that you were able to get the help that you needed, but also, like you said, spend time being present and giving back when Angie was in that time of need. Jen, could you share any of your feelings in approaching and committing to a, re- a relationship after Sony's history and knowing the challenges that with mental health that Justin faced?
2: Yeah, there were a lot of feelings uh, after Sony passed in the thought of remarrying. I decided that I just wouldn't. Uh, my first marriage was good but hard and so I just felt like I would just be a mom and that that would keep me safe um my past relationship and Stoney's history there was a lot of addiction involved and which manifests itself in me
3: with a lot of trust issues I had a lot of PTSD and I was receiving counseling for that from his death up until
2: the time I met Justin and and onward so when I met Justin, um, I wasn't really looking for a relationship, but we connected and wanted to meet each other. And he told me very upfront, first out of the gate, that he was bipolar. And I didn't know entirely what that meant, Yeah. Uh, the definition, but I didn't know everything that went into it. So I kind of got to know that a tiny bit in our dating process and in getting married, as many... Of you will know, uh, bipolar one is a mood disorder. So, given my background with PTSD and kind of startling, easy, and you know, worried about things, when some of the moods I would see that were unstable, it would be, it could be a trigger for me, right? To even not deal with it in the best way. So that was a challenge. However, I feel like my first marriage and the the things that I experienced and learned from really has helped me to uh, understand Justin and be able to really
0: take the time because I know how to do hard. Yeah. What advice would you share with listeners who might struggle with mental health, a diagnosis, PTSD, or thoughts of suicide?
1: Well, I've talked to a lot of widows and widowers who actually have lost a spouse to suicide and all i can say is that it's never an option Uh, when we got married i was on a medication that was working for me and and within about a year and a half it wasn't working so well and it was causing some problems in the family and i had to swallow my pride but i actually went to a controlled atmosphere to get my medications adjusted it was hard i couldn't be with the family jen would come and visit me uh, once a day but we, we got it worked out. It's just something where where if you're committed to um, the treatment, if you're committed to your family, it's something that you just, it doesn't matter what you have to do, you just need to take care of it. So I look at myself
2: more as an outsider looking in on bipolar or some of those mental health struggles. I have children as well that struggle with mental illness and I guess advice that I would give is just to be patient and do all you can to help that individual, um, not to make them feel different, but that you're there to love and support them. Um, In terms of suicide and thoughts of suicide, I just wanted to share something that I posted in honor of uh, September Suicide Awareness Month
0: on my Instagram.
2: Because I just think that there is a lot that goes on where someone suffering from mental illness may think that their family is better off without them, and they don't really know what that would look like. Um, So I'll just go ahead and read that. These are kind of my thoughts. I'm five days late in my post I meant to get done in September, but I wanted to take this chance and this moment to say that I fully support September Suicide Awareness Month. I wanted to post our very last family picture. The one we never imagined was the last. Stony, you'll never know how much you were missed. It was devastating when you left. It's still hard to accept today, and it will never stop hurting the people you love and that love you. If I could speak to you, I'd tell you about all that you've missed. I would list all the times the kids wished they had you here. I could tell you, just how much they don't only wish you were here for the important milestones, but for the yo-yo in the morning or survivor in the jazz game on the couch together. But the truth is, you already know, and I'm sure that hurts you deeply. I want to stress to anyone struggling, thinking that everyone is better off without you here, that it is a lie, there's always a better way. Please choose to stay.
0: I think that that's such a touching message and really um, emphasizes the points of what loss is like um, for those who are still around, you know, after that decision is made. Um, Right. And I think that having to – like I I can't imagine the burden of some of those experiences and trying to explain to your children or empathize with your children or – because truly there's no – source of comfort unless that person remained and so um you know there's always going to be in some ways that hole that needs to be filled or wants to be filled but it's not you know
2: yes and it's one of those things that in their darkest time or in your darkest time where having them here seems to be that only way to remedy that hole or that spot of hurting you can't make it happen and so Mm -hmm. it becomes an impossible um solution to provide
0: yeah in the book you describe the ways that you felt love and support from those around you immediately following the deaths of your spouses i found them super touching um to read and and reflect on and in thinking of okay if i went through that experience how would i feel but then also like if i have someone around me who goes through a similar experience how can i better support them could you guys share one of those experiences with the listeners?
2: yeah so i think after Stony passed there were a lot of big offerings that were given such as his company uh sent the kids and i on a trip to disney world just to get out of the space
3: and, and do something fun together um of course friends and family brought meals in so that
2: i wouldn't have to cook uh and and things like that um but it also was the little things Uh, I had friends and family that would take meetings at the school to help make accommodations for my kids so that I wouldn't have to go sit in a counselor's office and make all of those arrangements or they take them to baseball practice or dance or other activities that they were involved in. Uh, The bottom line was that the menial tasks, the things that we can't avoid, that we have to get done on a daily basis, especially after something traumatic happens uh people helping me with those small things made it able myself able to openly support them emotionally and show my love for them and not have to be burdened by the everyday things that had to get done right so just them jumping in and doing those little things um made a huge
1: difference for me
0: yeah i think that that's awesome to hear about justin what about for you
1: Well, um, at that time, my mind was kind of mush and I don't have a lot of uh, huge memories, but of course, um, there was a lot of reaching out and um, uh, cancer treatment is very expensive. And help uh, some funding in helping with her care. Um, After her passing, uh, I remember the holidays i let everyone else serve us i i um had somebody do the christmas shopping for me i just gave her a list and she wrapped the presents and put them under our tree Uh, when we were at family dinners and and different social things i didn't lift a finger i just allowed others to um have the opportunity to give service and i felt like uh if i graciously received that service then that was okay for that
0: time. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of follows into what I was wanting to expand on too is how it's difficult to be on the receiving end of service sometimes. And um so how did you two learn to embrace that and just let it come? Was that hard for you guys to embrace that? Um or was that something that just felt good in that time? Um it was hard
2: to accept help. Um, my husband traveled a lot and I was used to being really independent and doing even more than one parent does. So when all of a sudden I was receiving this help, it was really hard for me. Um, but it was interesting because when uh, Justin and I met just before my first Christmas that I would be alone for the first time with my kids, he gave me the advice actually and just said, this year it's your job to just gracious, graciously accept the charity. Yeah. And I thought, Oh, how do you do that? He said, you just make a choice and you just accept it. <laughs> uh, and, and that sounds easy to do, but it isn't. Um, especially because once you're getting such an outpouring of support, naturally you want to make sure everyone knows that you appreciate it because you would never want anyone to think something so small up to something huge ever goes unnoticed.
0: Right. And I
2: remember being in a counseling session with my therapist and saying, you know, I if I sat down and started writing thank you notes for every little thing, I'd be like over 500 thank you notes. <laughs> yeah. It's <And that's>, such <laughs> a burden for me to accept this service because I don't know how to properly thank everyone. And he said, you know, that's where social media comes into play. And the people offering service first of all, aren't interested in getting a thank you note but for your part you want to be able to let them know that and so I remember just making a general post at the two month mark after Stoney passed and just expressing my thanks and and it's printed in the book how I accepted that that uh, offering of charity but also wanted people to know how it was helping me and how it affected me
3: and that Nothing went unnoticed, and that we were so appreciative for it.
0: Yeah, I I love that because I think, and I love your therapist's advice. <laughs> like he's like, this is one where social media is a great tool, but two, yeah. um, it just kind of expands on that idea of like people aren't serving you to get thanked and to create a second burden. They, you know, they're there to lift the burden, especially in that time. And so, yeah, that would be a challenge with all of that attention and you know, generosity, it would be hard to not want to individually tell people how meaningful that is. But I think that in that time, you definitely deserve grace, like people don't expect that. And so giving that grace to yourself is um, healthy as well. Exactly. One part of the book that I really liked was when you guys established a difference between grief and trauma. Could you guys share a little bit more about this and how those things presented differently to you or your children um, then and now, maybe?
1: Yeah. Um, One of the things that Jen's, one of Jen's daughters said one time was that grief takes time and trauma takes work. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that. I knew that my kids had grief when they lost their mother, but I didn't recognize when she was initially diagnosed that it did cause them trauma. Mm -hmm. And so I addressed the grief and I was patient with the grief. And then it seemed like in, in certain instances, trauma would trickle out and it was hard to recognize, um, because I didn't really know a whole lot about trauma until I met Jen. Um, but it would seem like, you know, one of the kids is doing fine and then another one is struggling. And I think that. A lot of that was attributed to trauma and the fact that I didn't take them to any counseling for trauma. I didn't discuss trauma. I really didn't understand it as as
0: well as I I should have. Um, I love the way you said it was Jen's daughter that phrased it that way. Yeah. Yeah, I really love that because I think it's applicable to any type of situation that can be sad or traumatic or whatever you know that's difficult really um but i think that kind of how you describe like you didn't recognize a difference necessarily right away um but being able to see that probably helps you be better at um, recognizing it and and also supporting people around you
2: yeah i think so and with my children it was uh, somewhat different they weren't aware of the struggles that my husband, Stoney had, uh, for years and years. And that was something we kept just between the two of us. So on the day that he passed, they experienced immediate grief and trauma, uh, from not only that their dad had issues, but that he uh, had chosen that path of of not continuing to stay and to continue to try to heal so their trauma and grief were simultaneous and their trauma comes a lot even to this day from
3: the day that he he left and just the details that go along with that Mm -hmm.
2: um one thing that uh really helped in the trauma section of our healing was we had a really good therapist that did what's called EMDR therapy. Mm -hmm. It's for eye movement desensitization, pari (laughs) processing,
3: sorry.
2: (laughs) And basically what it is is uh, they use either a series of taps on their hands or um, eye movements with the therapist's hand, and they go ahead and tell the story, the things that are most traumatizing to them, I went through this type of therapy as well. And what it basically does is the more you repeat it and the more you talk about it using that technique, it will sort of file memories back in a place where they aren't interrupting your everyday uh, living. So they're Mm -hmm. not in that frontal lobe of your brain. They, They kind of reprocess and take your trauma. When you speak of those things, that may cause increased heartbeat, or uh, shaking, or crying. But that you can talk about those things and be a little less connected to them emotionally. But that they still happened. You have the memories. But it helps you just move forward in your life rather than having them disrupt
3: it.
0: Right. So like I talked about previously that when Jaris and I were dating um, and then got married, this was around the time that you guys had started dating and then got married, you know, a couple months after. And so something that I really admired um, was how you guys, from what I heard, I don't know if you guys still do this, but I had heard experiences about how you guys honored your former spouses and and kind of blending the families and all those dynamics and one example that my, that Kathy had shared with me was that you guys had photos of both of your um, former spouses with your families on like an entry table and then one of all of you together. Is that something that you guys still try to maintain and, and how do you guys feel you continue to honor all of those dynamics for you and your children um, as you've blended families and face that challenge? Well,
1: we didn't want to totally erase
0: the past. Yeah. And. Um, we've always said that it's okay to talk about your deceased parent.
1: It's, you know, it's a huge part of their life, a huge por- portion of their lives was spent with their natural born parent. And for them to feel like that's no longer like it's a, a taboo topic uh, would just be um, a tragedy. And so it's, it's okay for them to talk about their deceased uh, parents. We like that our our kids and and step kids understand loss and that they both do that they both
2: understand it. Mm-hmm. So, like Justin said, we have very open conversation about Angie and about Stony, and uh, it's it's fun to see the kids remember good memories and be able to share. Maybe in a certain situation that we're in, oh, mom would totally think this if she were here or dad would be so bugged by this if he saw <laughs> what was going on. My husband was very OCD about things. So when there's big messes, my kids will always say, oh my gosh, dad would be freaking out right now. <laughs> and so it, it kind of keeps the lightness of, you know, that they're here and they're seeing You know our family dynamic and we've many times had to discuss with our kids that we're sure they approve of what we're doing and the the happiness that our blended family experiences even though it's hard at times Mm -hmm. uh, we we always acknowledge their birthday we always take time to go uh a few times a year to their grave and visit them at the cemetery um, especially on their um, death anniversary.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, it's interesting to see, like Justin said, the loss that they share as a common bond and how even though it's a mom and a dad differently, it's the same parental grieving of a biological parent who's no longer physically here. Right.
0: Um,
2: So we try to just keep the dialogue open and we try to talk about how what they must be thinking or memories on on what happened in the past just so they can remember that they're still a very active part of their lives in their minds and in their hearts and and that they aren't truly gone.
0: Yeah, I that's something I really admire and respect. And I think it does take strength. Um from all parties to to do that and to maintain that appreciation for each other's former, I mean, it's your former spouses, you know, so there's probably some challenges with that, but, but I really admire that and think that it does take a lot of strength to say, look, this person should be celebrated because they were important to you. And so um, that makes them important to me too, in a way. Something that I found really cute <laughs> in the book is how you guys included your children in your engagement and that proposal experience, um, can you tell the audience, the listeners, a little bit about that and kind of that experience and yeah. what was memorable for you?
1: <laughs> well, I, I wanted all of the children to be involved in the process, not just to to be there after we got engaged. And so, what I did, I planned with each of them um, that I was going to drive away with Jen and Jen knew I was going to propose to her. But uh, as I got a, a few blocks down the street, I said, Oh man, I forgot something. I've got to go get it. And we pulled back into the driveway of her house and she was going to sit in the car, but I needed her to come to the house because we had turned it into a restaurant. And so I said, come in with me for a minute. It's it's gonna take a, a couple minutes for me to find what I'm looking for. She probably thought it was the ring that I forgot.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, as we got to the door, her daughter
1: opened the door and said, welcome to this lovely restaurant. Uh, how many will there be seated today? And I said two. And we had uh, kids in the back room, cooking dinner, we had menus, we had appetizers and Uh, every one of them played a part in it and it was really amazing. When I went to propose to her, they were filming on their phones. And after I proposed and she said, yes,
0: everybody hugged each other. And so it was just a a great experience where, where everybody was there. Everybody by being there was, was showing their support in the process. And, um, it made for just a, a lovely experience. It sounds like it was memorable too. (laughs) At least when I kind of go into the details of the book, um, reading that was making me laugh. Super cute. (laughs) Jen, do you have thoughts on that to add?
2: I loved the experience. I thought it was so well thought out and sweet. Um, The restaurant was called The Haven House, which I thought was very symbolic as we've gone through the blending process. But like Justin said, after you know, I accepted this proposal, they all hugged each other. And yes, they were showing their support, but it wasn't because it it was easy to do. It was hard to do with their apprehensions. And we talk about that more in the book on our wedding day, but they're always there to support us, even when they have apprehensions on what it looks like. They trust us a lot to know that it can be good even if it's going to be hard or an adjustment right so it was such a good experience but ended up being really symbolic in in how things have been as we've moved forward and are now over three years blending
0: yeah I loved reading about some of the experiences you guys had um as your children played an influence in you guys dating and getting married um could you share a little bit about that and what some of those experiences might have looked like? The the laughable moments or the not-so-laughable, whatever mm-hmm. you want to share. <laughs>
1: well, they, obviously, none of them were really excited about it when when we first started dating. I guess with the, the exception of the couple, we had uh, very little support. When I told my kid, skipping ahead, when I told my kids that we were going to be getting engaged, I told them that uh it was my decision and that i would appreciate their support i didn't ask for their permission i still played the role of a father which is sometimes difficult to do because it felt like when angie passed away that they were trying to mother me and so i had to remind them hey i'm your dad and i pray about these decisions and and I would just appreciate your support in this decision that I make. And, you know, maybe your understanding will increase in the future. But I don't think that you can get them all together and and have them all agree and just say, yeah, let's do it. It just doesn't really work that way.
0: Yeah. For Jen, do you have um, thoughts about that as well?
2: Well, I when Justin and I met, like I said, I wasn't ready to date but I wanted to meet Justin because we had had a connection. Mm -hmm. Um, And I told my kids before I went out on our first date when we met that I was going out and all of them were like, Oh, great. You know, (laughs) you're going to meet someone, another adult. And our, you know, after we first met, I mean, from the time we started talking, which was the first of December, we really didn't go a day after that without talking to each other. So uh, needless to say our relationship After we met and knew in person that we were compatible, uh, it just basically just the accelerator went full blast. And the kids weren't ready for that. I wouldn't expect any of them to be ready for that. I wasn't ready or expecting that. I guess I should say expecting that. But once we started, you know, dating, even though we had the long distance uh, dating experience, it was still not something that you could stop. It was right. just absolutely what we felt was right. So with my kids, um, we always tell the story after my after our first date that I got home and and I was past curfew, which for them was twelve <laughs> o'clock. And so they, you know, were not happy about that and then <laughs> they hurt feelings and them being just kind of, you know, now I'm unsure you were with this stranger and you were past. 12 o'clock and then one of the kids asked well did you guys
3: kiss
2: (laughs) and I said well yeah I was was not thinking that would be like a huge issue but looking at it from a parental perspective which they were taking on just like Justin described they were like we don't do that and now you're you're acting like a teenager and then you know it was kind of hard ground to make up from there (laughs) So, <laughs> that became kind of the um, the pattern as we continued dating was just them basically thinking they could tell us what to do. Yeah,
1: we got that a lot, we got uh, you're acting like a teenager quite a bit, <laughs> it's got to be an uncomfortable thing for for your uh, child to all of a sudden
0: see you flirting with uh, somebody of the opposite sex, something they've never experienced before. Yeah, besides their own parents. And I think that that's very sweet because like you, you kind of talked about how your kids can't be necessarily involved in the actual decision because they're not going to ever be totally ready for that. But like giving them chances to be included when you've made that decision, I think makes all the difference. Um,
2: And the best way to get them involved is
0: if it's something positive and fun. Yeah. Yeah. Like would be,
2: you know, anytime we plan to do something if we could do it and have fun, even they could kind of put their reservations in the back
0: of their mind and just focus on the fun that they were having right. and let, you know, some sort of bonding
3: happen, even with those
0: reservations. Yeah. I think that that's a great way to go about, um, building those new experiences, um, together as a blended family. For Justin, you had time with Angie prior to her passing where you kind of knew that that could come because she was sick for so long. And, With Jen, it was really unexpected and traumatic. What advice do you guys have or insights about what others could do to prepare for the unimaginable um, that a family might face? And maybe even touch on the emotional differences with having something be sudden and kind of a surprise versus dragged out and expecting it, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. So I think my best advice going forward would be with anyone who is married and has a family is that these preparations do need to take place. Um, It's a good idea for everyone to become prepared for the unimaginable. Um, Everyone should be talking about what if Uh, everyone and we fill into this category Two was that that happens to other people but not going to happen to us so we don't really have to make it a priority to make those plans because if nine times out of ten it's never going to happen to us well that one time is all it takes and then you're in that situation and after the fact it's too late so my advice would be um absolutely have life insurance uh we've seen a lot of widows within our support group who have struggled financially that either didn't have life insurance or didn't have enough life insurance and now they're facing um, you know new difficulties with their children that they're not able to afford even if it's just Christmas or some sort of college or medical condition that one of their kids has uh, developed and they don't have insurance things like that so I think the life insurance is very important, whether you have a terminal illness and you're looking ahead, but even if you're not, I mean, anything catastrophic could happen at any any time and that's the first step is really just recognizing and knowing that no one is immune. Right. Um, also having conversations with your kids that, you know, if something happened to one of you, um, it will bring a lot of tears to discuss that with the kids. They always, oh my gosh, I don't want anything to happen to you. And and you, you do have to just let them know. It, it may not, it probably won't, but if it did, here's what it would look like. I think that would have helped both of our kids um, with their trauma, just having that idea even opened in their head. Um,
1: you know, obviously, bringing our kids together, they've had an opportunity to, to progress in, in ways also. With the challenges and, and with the good times and the easy times and the tough times, uh, I feel like everyone in our family has been given an opportunity to spiritually grow. And what's even more amazing is that I think each one of them, in their own way, has taken that that challenge and and learned to 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 deal with it and and learned that uh, that it is important. It's important for all of us.
2: Right. And Justin and I have discussed, uh, you know, looking back with our spouses, uh, that both of us wish we'd have had more open conversations with our spouse about uh, what their wishes would be. Um, Of course, when someone dies by suicide, that's not something that was predetermined or it wasn't something that you expect to have happen, but neither Mm -hmm. is a car accident or a plane crash or any other type of sudden uh, death experience um in Justin's situation he had time for him and Angie could talk about some things although when you're going through cancer treatments and you're living day to day just for the energy to breathe
3: okay. and to
2: really you know all just exist and fight this battle it's really hard to take time and energy to discuss those things so I just wanted to lastly point out just ahead of time or as soon as you can if you are diagnosed with something talk about those things because when when if you're the one suffering and you're the one that passes the the parent that's left such as justin and i um we want to be able to know those wishes and i know there's been times for both of us that we wish we had answers or we had um a video or a recording or something that we could share with our kids when they're missing their parent Yeah, can't always happen. Can't always be made. But I guess just if we're giving advice to someone, you know, that would be that would be our advice. Now, uh, Stoney died by suicide. Um, it 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 was such a hard thing to be able to accept. Only it's unchangeable. I mean, it it happened. We became aware that it happened and. You can't change it, the same as, as when Angie passed from cancer, but what you can control is that the stretching and the adapting and the growth that is required of you, uh, you can put all of your effort into, and the more effort that you put into it, the more growth will take place, and the further ahead you and your children can be in a positive way, right. even though negative thing to have happen you can be in control of how positive the outcome is
0: yeah and having that those converse I I like how you started out with just saying it's a simple conversation like it can cause some emotions and fears and whatnot but that's where it starts is just a conversation so that you at least have had some sort of foundational knowledge and comfort should that ever happen I want you guys to tell me about your book um, I'm really excited. I've been reading it. It's a great read. I'm still getting, I think I'm like 75% way through. So I'm still have like the final piece that I'm excited to finish. But did you guys always want to write a book together once you'd been married? Like,
1: Well, I've always wanted to write a book and was kind of waiting for the opportunity. Um, but when I would write some things, I'd go to Jen and I talked to her about these things. And she would come up with these great answers and insight that i knew i couldn't get on my own and so um i began coming up with questions on a regular basis and asking her and recording the things that she was saying because i felt like her insight was so important to the book as a whole um
0: it's taken gosh i don't even want to say it I wrote the the original manuscript in in four months, and it's taken two years to get it published. So the publishing process is huge. It's tedious, and um, you've got to kind of find the right people. We did a lot of prayer, and feel like we were led to the right publisher, to the right editing house, and really felt like, you know, this book has taken life
1: of its own. Um, for our kids, it's to me, it's kind of a legacy that we have. It's something that brings us together. Everybody knows that they're a part in it, and that they play a role in our story. And um, you know, what what I hope happens next is just that it reaches the right hands. That's kind of one one of the things that I I pray for on a regular basis is that it will reach the hands of people who are needing the message. It's a book that's broken into three sections. It could have actually been three books. Um, it talks about grief and trauma that's five chapters and then dating and getting engaged and making that work is five chapters. And then the last four chapters are about our marriage and our experiences that we have in, um, blending our families. And so I, I think that uh, it covers more than just a book about blending families. It's it's kind of the beginning through the end process, and then you know at the end of the book, it's like here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what we're doing, and, and this is what's ahead of us. There are mountains ahead of us, and um, they look big, but the mountains behind them are even bigger. But when we reach the peak, we look down and see how far we've come.
2: Yeah. And it's rewarding along the way. It's challenging along the way. I knew what writing a book would be like. And, you know, it started out as, you know, Justin's project and his dream. But then it became something that we were both involved in. And I mean, it's such an amazing experience when that first copy comes in the mail and you're actually holding a
0: bound book. Before we end, I want to get to our last question. That we always ask and it's if you could pick one piece of advice about mental health surviving grief or blending families what would you share
1: well the book is about hope um that's kind of a general thing though um i i would talk about second marriages that they're they're hard work but there are all these percentages out there of you know why it's difficult to get into a second marriage and it gets really discouraging when you when you read and you um do research about the percentages of second marriages that do or don't work there are just so many different factors that aren't taken into account in any percentages that you give or any any graphs that you make about second marriages um if you're if you're going into a second marriage do it for love and i mean love's not everything because you've got kids and sometimes you, <laughs> you just uh, have a hard time with them but um don't trust the data that's out there second marriages can be great they can be wonderful experience and our marriage has been a uh, type of healing for me and for my kids and for jen and her for her kids and it's just it's well worth the risk in my opinion of um, having a second marriage making it work after uh, things catch you by surprise and tragedy strikes in your life? Well, my two pieces of advice would be first,
2: through the grieving and trauma and blending of a family, um, be patient with yourselves as parents, Um, be patient with yourself and the way you might react even as one of the children, Um, there's no set time frame to say, okay, we're in a good place now. It really is unique and specific to each family. So I just said you can't really fit everyone in a certain time frame or category to how, okay, you're doing good, or, oh, you're behind the trend or, you know, any of that. You just have to remember that this is an actual family and, Be patient with yourselves and make things work the way you want them to work. You'll hear a lot of advice, but it's really just unique to your own specific family and your own specific family's needs. Um, There's always going to be adjustments happening, so don't set time limits on that, but just
3: recognize
2: it and continue to move forward. One thing we tell our kids as well is that differences, since the kids have had um, a difference in upbringing, they'll see differences within either family and that we learn to celebrate the differences rather than see them as differences and judge them as good or bad. Right. Uh, And lastly, uh, my second piece of advice would just be, uh, it stems from a phrase um, from the back cover of the book and it says, prepare for hard, plan for happiness. And that's a phrase that Justin came up with. Um, when we were asked to speak at a widow's conference as the keynote speakers. And his whole message was centered around that topic. And I think it really encompasses going forward into a blending process or day-to-day in blending. Add a, a last plug. That phrase is really indicative of the way Justin writes and puts things together. It, he really, in the, throughout the book, and with my additions as well, it all has come together into taking concepts and things that are hard or happy times that are good. He really has an amazing way of making experiences and challenges visual and just able to end each chapter with a complete understanding and just a way of understanding it and having the encouragement to continue on your journey.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think he does well, as well. Guess, but, you know. <laughs> she's your, she's your fan club.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: I just want to thank you guys so much for sharing your perspectives, your experiences and um, yeah. advice with everybody on this topic.
2: Oh, well, it's an honor for you to ask us and we really appreciate that. Um, and giving us that opportunity to really reflect and be
0: able to share
1: our feelings more in depth. Thank you for the experience. And it was really nice that you reached out.
0: I just want to give a big thanks to Justin and Jen for being on this episode with me and sharing their experiences. These haven't been easy things for them to go through. And so I really appreciate them sharing their insights with us. And. Um, helping us learn from what they've been through just a reminder if you want to check out or purchase their book it's called widowed and moving forward insights on managing grief and dating and blending families and it is available on amazon so go check it out and make sure to leave a review if you end up purchasing it thanks for listening to this episode of the picked podcast if you enjoyed it make sure to share with your friends if you want to follow along with us on instagram it's at Michaela Riley. And if you're feeling really nice, leave a rating and review on the podcast app.